Hi everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of Tongue Tied Number One. This is Josh, and today we had uh, Lawrence Thompson and Sam Jaffe, both uh, co-workers of mine, and we talked about culture and the left, and uh, I guess more political stuff. <laughs> Lo and behold, everybody I know left wants to talk about politics, but it's a little more structured because Lawrence did his homework and he actually like did a lot of research. Also, thank you for that, uh, and thank you guys for listening. See you guys on the other side. And we're back. I'm here with Sam Jaffe and Lawrence Thompson. Hey guys, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, all things considered, I'm bunkered up in Manchester, New Hampshire, and waiting because like people are dying. I've been told. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Wait, I've heard about that. Yeah, I didn't realize you were still in New Hampshire. Good. Yeah, I'm in yeah. Uh, L.A., uh, where at least the weather is good, and that was my main reason for being here. Um, it's the city of dreams. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a, I, it's a great city because there's already social distancing built into people's interactions, right? Drive-throughs everywhere. Very, there's no real public transport. Um, people don't talk to each other. All the neighborhoods are segregated <laughs> by highways. Like, it's pretty good for the coronavirus. It's weird that it's like the complete yeah. opposite of Cal- of New York. And yeah. somehow they're both like connected in people's minds as like the two cities. But like they couldn't be more different from each other. Yeah, completely. Um, there's and culturally too, like it's super weird how people interact here. Oh, since you brought it up, we're actually talking about culture. So, uh, Whoa. more like the the relationship between the left and culture in general. Uh, so we should uh talk about so in like left spaces. Do you guys think we have an issue with going too far into culture, or um, like do you guys think that's an issue? Yeah, I think it's kind of an issue because we have some materially stated goals and like when we end up going a little too far into some of the culture kind of stuff, we get to a sort of point where people are taking some of the things that we say and distorting them into different kinds of worlds. Like um, it's sort of like what happens when some institutions take us on, like when the banks take our ideas or when like a startup takes our ideas, we just sort of make this weird deal with the devil and like we get burned. Yeah. Yeah. I was hearing a great like analysis of how the time's up kind of like, uh, and somewhat the me too movement was so grounded heavily in culture and culture war kind of, uh, identity politics stuff that, what actually came down to it functioning as an organization to support people. And like, uh, particularly in regards to the Tower Reed situation, it wouldn't actually, it didn't have any core values, right? It didn't have any ideology or like analysis of how do you create an objectively good social justice oriented organization? It just failed completely, right? It's a useless organization for that reason. Um, Also, can we swear? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is definitely a, no fucks given dudes rock kind of podcast good 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 <laughs> he likes right, it when you say compound swears too 
<laughs> no, please don't. Please don't do any of the Wonkett shit. Like, I, <laughs> like, like I that, right? All right. As long as the C word is game, then I'll, I'll feel right at home. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I can see it me, like, looking even past the Me Too movement, like when you look at the Women's March, uh, it seems like a good idea in its beginning. <laughs> like, right. uh, like of course, women are obviously still discriminated against. They're obviously marginalized, like hugely in the world and even in the U.S. And like with a president like the president we have, like obviously that's a concern that a lot of women felt. And then it just became like a branding tool, mm. and like even mm-hmm. the, the founders were sort of like run afoot because they weren't corporate friendly. Uh, yeah, yeah, and as LT yeah. said, like that reflects into other other spaces, right? Like you can talk about the kind of like the pride marches now, and uh, what what's the term? The uh, what the corporatization of like of of gay pride? There's a word for it, pinkwashing, right? Pinkwashing, yeah. Yes. And I feel like it's not just, yeah, it's not just, you know, for LGBTQI issues, it's across social justice issues, like Democratic Party and the corporate nature of it almost feels like it, it sucks in these social movements and spews out PR bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's that, sorry, there's that famous meme about uh, the two people in like a nondescript Middle Eastern country, and it's like, oh, another dropping bombs again. And then the guy's like, yeah, but these bombs are being dropped by women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the guy's like, oh, yeah. And then, like, the next panel's like, them dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like when it happens. Yeah. They definitely. Should, yeah. yeah. They should be just so happy that they got to be involved. With it. But um, I feel like a lot of this reminds me of what I used to see a decade ago when I was in school, um, where it was like greenwashing was just what everyone was talking about, but only a few people could really see it when it was actually happening. And they didn't realize that they were being had by like other companies. Like, I feel like some of the actors involved, like some of the people who might have the most, the best intentions, like a lot of our friends who are, activists in like NGO spaces are just doing what they got to do. They just to preserve themselves, they got to take that money. So they're going along with it for that reason, because it's like, Oh, this is the lesser of two evils. I got to make that money. I got to keep my organization going and I have to win the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. I think in a way, nonprofits and think tanks and all that sort of stuff, exists as a way to capture specifically in the u.s like overwhelmingly in the u.s Mm -hmm. as a way to capture any sort of like revolutionary or not Mm. revolutionary but like any sort of like burgeoning people movements and that's why like you've seen a huge uh like swell groundswell of those after the 60s because it was Mm. the only way to keep people from like continuing the movements also doesn't help it doesn't hurt if you shoot students at kent state right like (laughs) then that energy has to disperse because uh whether we want to like even though we live in the u.s no one wants to get shot right Uh, yeah so it's very easy for that to happen yeah and i i reminds me i saw something little on the nature of protests and obviously how the coronavirus has affected it um and the idea that the author posited which i think is wrong but that uh 
suppression of protests because of the circumstances is going to mean that once this is all over, people are going to be even angrier, right? And we've seen a lot of European countries, especially like Hungary comes to mind with Viktor Orban passing um, laws ostensibly to prevent, you know, uh, the coronavirus getting worse, but really is designed just to reduce free speech and free movement of people within the country. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see as more of that happens, like what does process culture look like after the coronavirus? Like if you think of like Hong Kong had be going on for, I think a, close to a year, right up until now, I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't heard about it since. Yeah. They, they lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sucks to suck. Uh, yeah. Gotta um, go back to John board. Yeah. I, like there will be some sort, I think that's one of the scariest things to me about this whole thing is, uh, We'll try to go back to normal, but, like, things will not be the way they were. And, like, what does that mean for, like, any sort of movement on the left or even on the right? Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, Mm. how do you fix this? Because, like, libertarianism has been shown to be, like, a death trap. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, what does that mean? And, like, I don't know. It's it's hard. (laughs) I'm not in. Yeah. You got to go out and protest the coronavirus like all the good folks are doing. You know, those are the people yeah, yeah, on the yeah. ground. They're doing the work, man. <laughs> That's right. I always Do wanted those people work. to get involved, but <laughs> not in this way. But it is yeah. still funny, right? There's still, like, mm-hmm. liberals will criticize it. Obviously, it's the, the position they're taking is ridiculous and what they're doing is awful because it's killing people um, and straining systems. But also, like, it shows who's willing to stand up for shit. I mean, however astroturf it is, you still have people taking that money to do that. Like, I still don't think there's most people who would take money to go stand and scream for a day. Like, most people in the country still wouldn't do that. It shows what the right has that the left, or at least the center left, doesn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you I bring up... What's that? All right, go for it, Lawrence. Okay, um, I think you bring up a great point about some of the protests on the right, and you got me thinking for a second about some of the failures of the right initially like especially with regard to charlottesville because i heard that there were like some leaked chats that were saying that they really wanted to have a domino effect and their riots and have those riots occur nationally so it's like what led them to think that they had won to such an extent that they had already won and all of their values were things that were felt by like every by like a good portion of Americans enough so so that way they would institute this great change in like everything and freak me out for sure you know I think that's I mean the the whole like domino effect is like very very like prevalent in mm-hmm. prevalent not prevalent prevalent and the right I mean they've like they've been trying to do this shit for years right like yeah right management's Charles Manson's whole deal was like, oh yeah, he'll kill a couple of people and it'll start a race war. And like, they always right. think that we're on the verge of a race war. And it has to do, I think, with like a little of the paranoia in their system. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that like them, like liberals and like some people on the left, like uh, we all live in our own bubbles. So like we assume everybody, everybody is on the same page regarding all this shit, <laughs> even right. though like they're clearly not right. Like, a yeah. third of the American electorate, a, a larger, like, I think it's close to, like, 40%, right? Or 45% of people mm-hmm. don't vote. Yeah. yeah. So, like, we're obviously not all on the same page. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's close to that number because I had to send a long fucking email to someone about. They were like, "Will you still vote for Biden?" And like, "What will Bernie supporters do?" Sorry, I don't. We don't need to talk about it. But I had to include a lot of reasons why. But I think, yeah, I think the idea of like understanding that we assume that the people, most people agree with us, or at least even people in our circles, right, who share a certain cultural leftism would support our politics, right? Like I, it became a real shock to me as I moved left from being like a, I don't know, probably liberal to a social dem to a socialist to see how many people like I left behind during that journey, right? Like a lot of people who have the look of someone who might have radical politics, but have none of the radical politics, right? Am, am I the only one who feels that or has seen that? I can certainly attest to that like as i've moved more left in my journeys i've lost some people because like some people i knew in like college who were working for the college democrats were like not bernie supporters and they certainly had never thought to give any thought to socialist ideas but i gained some confidants in the military who i learned that they actually had a strong support for Bernie and some anti-imperialist ideas because they saw kids come back with their legs blown off. So when I told them that I had been working for Bernie, like just to be a little, I thought it was being controversial. They were like, Oh yeah, right on man. So I can certainly attest. I think yeah, that's one of the other problems is that uh... we're judging people, right? Yeah, we're constantly judging people, and it becomes like it's a problem, and uh, it ties to what we all read. We we all in preparation for this read, uh, or skimmed. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, exiting the vampire castle, uh, and this idea that like there's a right take and a bad take, and like it's a very sort of conservative sort of mindset. And if we're actually going to get through any of this, like, we're going to have to break the bubble and accept people where they are and try to, like, reach them where they are, which is, like, if you've experienced the left online <laughs> completely antithetical to how it works, it's, like, as soon as someone has a bad take, then we, like, drag them and finish them off uh, instead of, like, trying to understand. And it's a big problem that... The, the left and I'm I mean the left in like the broadest sense, like including MSNBC and shit, uh has. <laughs> like we constantly like people are irredeem- irredeemable for mm. any sort of transgression. Right. Uh there can be no learning from anything. Uh yeah. I mean we as Bernie brothers <laughs> we experienced <laughs> it, right? Like it was like, oh yeah, in twenty sixteen I am sure like I know for a fact there was fucking shitheads on the campaign. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. we worked with some. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, and I think, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Sorry, no, finish the point. And it, 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 like, dragged the whole campaign down the whole time we were running against it. Whether it was, like, manufactured or not, like, it, there was a truth to it. And it did affect how people perceived us. Like, everybody. Uh, yeah. And it, it's like... And such a useless perspective, especially if you are a leftist and you believe in, like, let's say prison reform or abolishing, you know, prisons, as I do, then you have to believe that people are redeemable in some way, right? It's it's like yeah. a very, like, punitive way of viewing the world if you just cancel everything, you know? It's fucking annoying. 
Yeah, you're not going to have anyone if you're just if everyone just canceled, you're going to have a clubhouse, you're not going to really have much of a movement or the capabilities to organize. So I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I saw what you posted LT about like, you know, that the organizer activist distinction, which I think like Josh, you were mentioning as well, is really interesting, right? The idea that like, mm -hmm. activism is sexy, right? Activism is protest, activism is like dressing a certain way is punk, it's like, it's being a little rebellious, it's like screaming on people on Twitter. Um, but organizing isn't at all. Like anyone who's done it will tell you it's not fun or exciting. It's really tough and because you yeah. don't get to react like a shithead. Uh, mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about, Sam. Calling people for four <laughs> hours to beg them to please help us knock on doors and get the word out is yeah. my definition of a good Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes even though the campaign's over, I still get fucked up and just make some calls, you know. <laughs> hey, remember me? Yeah, I don't work for Bernie anymore, but... Uh... What are you doing Friday morning? <laughs> Get together. Let's, let's do something. It's right. No, we're, we're all employed anyway, so let's, let's just do it. Yeah, I was just like, no, like, I don't work for Bernie anymore. I work for Trump, actually, but I've still got these numbers, so let's talk, right? Yeah, like, let's go, baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's all a part of, like, it sounds so stupid, but it is a part of, like, a self-defense mechanism in that people mm -hmm. like activism is a cultivated identity. Whereas like organizing is a thing you do. Like they're very mm. different. Right? Like mm. you're an organizing. That's not who you are as a person. Like you can be a completely like a, a fucking bro or like a woke scold <laughs> or whatever the fuck you are, but you're an organizer. Whereas like an activist is like you cultivate, there's a personality. People already have like, connections in their mind about what that means and it's so much cooler to be an activist than it is to be an organizer right right and i think like yeah i think we we mentioned occupy before we started recording and like that's that features a big part of that right like i mean that was one of the big and of, mm -hmm. of many different downfalls but one of them is that like you had to identify as an activist to be part of it right it wasn't it wasn't inclusive in in any way um of the majority of people who didn't already identify that way um and that's, I mean, that's the one thing that I would say is redeemable about Bernie is that you didn't have to be a fucking activist to be involved. You didn't have to know anything or understand like complex terminology that, you, that I feel like you probably feel like you need to understand to be part of DSA, right? I think that's mm -hmm. a big DSA problem for me. Yeah, yeah. I think, oh, go, go for it, Lawrence. Oh, I was about to say, I absolutely agree with that being a major issue with the DSA, because um, I've heard some people voice that frustration too. Like they want to have the uh, socialism for normies, but um, some of the things that we go into where it's like, we're talking about theory and stuff. It's getting really hard to like have those talks about what we need to do. And people are just talking about like the theory of change and like praxis when we're just trying to have a meeting to get an event together for people to talk. So I absolutely agree with that DSA problem. Yeah, it seems like there's a there's a line, right? It's the reason you've seen a lot of DSA start reading groups and shit. I think as a way of, of keeping that conversation separate to a general working group conversation or a general meeting conversation. But I've been part of DSAs where that hasn't been a clear distinction and you've just seen like new people come in and just look shit scared. Uh, we did a great reading uh, group on the ABCs of socialism, the, the Jacobin publication, I think it was. 
um, right. for new members. Like, and that's a great thing to do. I still think Praxis is a way better way to involve people into a left movement, like unionization or direct action or something before theory. I think the vast majority of people, especially people who aren't like college educated, are not going to like think reading like left theory or reading Jacobin is a good way to get into it. Um, it's great for the PMC people who fine, but it's not enough. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems in the left and the American left compared to like, maybe, maybe you can speak to this a little more, Sam, because you obviously people can't tell from your accent or not. <laughs> like, you know, they're not from here, you motherfucker. Yeah. God. I've heard some people say that you're spanking it, so don't don't listen to Josh. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, like uh, the American left has a lack of institutions where like any norm, normal, quote unquote, normal person, uh, whatever the fuck that means, can come yeah. and like learn theory because like obviously the U.S. isn't going to teach you fucking Marxist theory in any sort of like uh, in any sort of like educational setting that's not like a fucking graduate (laughs) course or something uh so like a lot of people agree with it uh but like the only people that sort of tend to read theory tend to be better off than most other people uh or at least have like the free time to actually sit down and read theory because it's not like it's the most uh comprehensible (laughs) quick read sort of thing it's fucking tough uh to read it out uh and so like there's no one nowhere for people to learn and when you do get those spaces spaces for leftists you tend to want to get all heady and shit and you fail to realize that that's not how you build Mm. a mass movement like you have to make it accessible to people i think that was one of the big problems like we were talking with occupy it's that not everybody could go be somewhere downtown for an extended period of time because most people had to pay rent most people had to like get jobs Right. Uh, and it was exclusionary, not by the sign, but just in its nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, especially because I think for a lot of leftists, like for me, I know DSA was the first time I was around people who I was like, wow, this is all people I broadly agree with. Like, that's so cool. Let's talk about this. And I think there's an excitement for that, which is why the theory, you know, becomes such a big part of things. But yeah, as you say, you need a way, like, you need social institutions or something to give people that insight, give people a way in, especially when, you know, they're talking about complex and controversial issues uh, where people, you know, feel really passionate. Like, for example, someone coming into a DSA meeting and immediately misgendering someone, right? Like, you'd hope they would call someone in rather than call someone out and, like, talk shit about them that you'd pull them aside and explain to them. But, like, that doesn't really seem like even DSA, which I think is one of the more welcoming, like, activist spaces I've been a part of, uh they they're really good at that there's a lot of people that are kind of too up their own ass and generally it's the people who've been there too long who don't want to welcome members in they kind of feel like you know you guys are late to the party fuck you you don't get to be part of the fun now right yeah i think i think that's a huge like that mentality is the colonization of every single space by capitalism like that's social capitalism right like yeah. by calling someone out you're racing your own brand quote unquote uh, <laughs> Or you're being more work or whatever. Right. And it's what it's what plagues the online left. Like this social capitalism of like if you cancel someone and you call them out, you can you you have something to gain, whether it's followers, mm. whether it's the respect of your peers, whatever. There's something to be gained from it. And it needs to be expunged from the left if we're ever gonna do anything right. Because like 
there's no way to move forward. Uh, and it makes us fucking hypocrites. Yeah, I can absolutely agree to that. And there was one thing that I was thinking of that with, let's say, the uh, online sphere and and Occupy, I'd say that there definitely was more of a social, there was like more competition for social capital because both of those places are a little less tied to certain issues than the DSA is because I know that how many strains of like leftists there are on online, whether you're on like Twitter, Reddit or something, or I don't know where else, uh, or an Occupy where due to some things like the people's mic and um, just like who came out with what signs, it was a lot easier to, um, to like really mess things up. Like we had some real weirdos who were just like, making just doing real dumb dumb stuff whereas like some people will criticize the dsa for having less issues but less issue coverage than they would like or less of a bound bounding in like materials politics but i think it's still a step ahead of where occupy and um the online left are and like having less grounding of the issues to be able to truly get something done i think for the online left, there's only two types of leftists. There's uh, the ones that agree with me, and then the ones that are wrong about everything. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. they'll get the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, let's talk about the intersection between, like, culture and power. Because I think, uh, from the two pieces we read, which I'll link, I'll link all the pieces uh, we read for uh, the episode on the description for the uh, episode uh there was one piece that we read from the federalist that talks about how like the left has an overwhelming uh like power when it comes to culture mm. which i completely disagree with <laughs> uh and then mm-hmm. there was the piece from uh the guardian uh about how like identity politics have uh divided america in a way that's unprecedented uh and i completely disagree with that as well uh we fought mm-hmm. a civil war <laughs> <laughs> so there's at least one place where we can point to where the the difference were like way starker uh, but i do think that the left has not the left left but the center left has a control on the media which is completely overstated uh constantly and like this campaign uh this campaign season was an obvious choice of that like the two most exciting people running were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, whether we want to, like, whether we all like them or not, like, those were the two exciting candidates. And somehow the media kept pushing people that were not exciting, like Amy Klobuchar had a moment. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg had a moment. Uh, and the fucking nominee to be is Joe Biden, who, like, hasn't have a fucking clue about what's happening in the world. Yeah. But he does spend $10,000 on ice cream, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, Shout out to him. Really cool. Uh, <laughs> More than Nancy, even like tough competition, Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think the left has sort of more pool in mainstream culture, and you can see it with a bunch of different things, like the shift uh, in how people feel about LGBTQI people. Like, obviously, representation right. media helps them, uh, mm-hmm. and I- any of those things. But I feel like it's completely overstated. Do you guys think that's true, or do you guys think that the left is? actually like the one leading the conversations and why do you think that is in general 
I don't think you could you could consider it to be the left who are leading that conversation like you were saying it would be the center left and as far as it goes I think I heard somewhere recently that if you look at what's getting the most views and like the most um people most eyeballs on anything it's just random apolitical stuff like if we're talking tv ratings um I think it's just some show on like NBC or ABC that most people are watching so and like a lot of it's yeah, like this is uh, or something apolitical. Uh, yeah, like you can check that out, and I heard it's a it's a good show that you can watch. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that we don't have the same number level of control. We might be really good at aggrandizing certain circles and like certain corners of the internet, but a lot of those places are really losing their influence. Like if we had a lot of like websites shutter, like uh, what was that one? Um, who really kind of liked us, like uh, the outline shuttered. I, I met Rachel Millman, good person. Uh, and like Gawker shuttered. Yeah, Gawker insane. died. Uh, what's the one Kath Kruger worked at last year that died? Uh, Deadspin. Deadspin died. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we lost, we're losing some of our influence for sure. I think the left has power in things that don't matter. <laughs> which is wild to say like in movies in like right those shorter circles and like fictional mm-hmm. fictional worlds is where the left has power because what a surprise people agree with us on like grand themes but they don't agree with us on specifics and we have to be better at the specifics part but like when it comes to like any sort of investigative journalism journalism in general those are those aren't friendly to the left to the left like those aren't spaces friendly to us so it's a joke for me when people say that like the new york times has a fucking uh, uh left uh, yeah. a left uh, perspective yeah. or whatever like, i will laughing. never forgive the new york times for assassinating my character <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah like i think one of the things that the cycle really proved is the power of journalists and how mm-hmm. little accountability there is for bad journalism how little independent left journalism like we talk about other countries briefly like the first thing i think of is the uk where i think there is a stronger left media of sorts and i like one of the things that was really interesting coming out of the corbyn campaign was the idea that the peripheries politically define the center right and at least in Mm -hmm. british politics that has been the case so if you think of a more powerful left-wing you know, media, especially, and what it could do. Like, Jeremy Corbyn and Nigel Farage have been the two most influential politicians in terms of what the political narrative is in the last, like, 20 years. But, uh, so, yeah, in the last 10 years, I'd say. But, like, if you look at what does it actually do, like, what is the cultural narrative actually change in terms of policy? Nothing, right? Like, neither of those politicians have dramatically changed politics, essentially, I, I don't think, at least in terms of substance. Maybe that's to come, but we'll see. Yeah, I think like that's the one thing we can be sort of grateful is that last time around Bernie got a little more airtime than this time around because he was a caricature, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's like even those short like three four months that he had last time when he was running and it was serious. And, like those four months changed how we talk about healthcare in this country, and mm-hmm. uh, but it was only because it was covered by like the mainstream news and it was only in like, they were only covering him because it was like, yeah, this guy's going fucking nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Lo and behold, once they got his message out, the normal people, it resonated with them. And that's why this time there was a lot more 
suppression uh, when it comes to his campaign. Um, but yeah, like the media is like, we like to think that like social media and the internet have somehow democratized how we uh, like get news and like multiplied news sources or whatever. But the truth is like the media, traditional media still amazing at fucking manufacturing consent. <laughs> like yeah. it's almost like it's a very well oiled machine. Uh, for for some reason, who knows? Who knows why? Why it's so good at this? <laughs> Look, someone's got to be protecting Epstein. All right, I feel for the guy. Okay, <laughs> him and his legacy I'm, trashed. I'm a I'm a big Epstein truther. I don't think he's dead now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They definitely fucking marked him. Like <laughs> no questions. They got him good, man. They got yeah. him. <laughs> Uh, he got himself so weird that he broke that bone you only break when someone breaks your fucking neck <laughs> yeah, yeah man you know when you wake up with a bit of a kink in the neck and you try and like you, you flick your head to the side really fast to like get it out <laughs> and then just break your fucking <laughs> neck yeah man as someone, as someone that has like dealt with depression and has like tried to hang themselves multiple times believe me <laughs> a sheep will not do their job yeah <laughs> Yeah, because in movies they just they just yeah. like they look like they just like crack your neck a little bit like a chiropractor is no. broken. It's fucking I'm hard. trying to fix my neck and I can't replicate what Epstein did, so <laughs> might be some truth into what you two are talking about. Uh, so uh, we should talk about like how what do you guys think the left, uh, our our left, right, like the far left, <laughs> can do better uh, to get people motivated and like coming showing up for us because i think that's the biggest the biggest hurdle we have like of course it's like the structural hurdles of like the media blah 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 blah. but like the win from amlo in mexico shows that like you can face a hostile media environment and still somehow manage to convince people to do shit so what do you guys think we can learn from like this cycle i think one thing that you can certainly do is just not buy into some of the framework and some of the conclusions of the enemy. Because looking at the previous cycle, um, in some of those debates, Bernie was pretty strong when he was denying the framework and like what people were presenting to him. And I know in my personal life when working on some people, I had some success when I would just go in a direction where people didn't think I was going to go like, I'll take an example of my, of like being a vegetarian where like everyone would be like, yo, what you're not saving any animals because there are animals who die in the fields. I'm like, sure. But the reason why I care is because, um, it's wasting oil to eat that food to like eat that burger sometimes. And you're going to end up having to kill a lot of people to get that burger someday. And, like, that was my reason. Like, granted, I don't, as someone who's eating, like, a lot of industrial food, I don't think that vegetarianism is the solution for everyone, but that's a tangent. But, yeah, not buying into the enemy's framework. And I guess, as we said earlier, not yelling at people for, like, being, not understanding things. Like, coming to them, just like that picture we talked about earlier with cool kids versus organizers. Mm. Yeah, I, I think mean, you, you should yell at people, though. Yeah, yeah. I feel like LT, <laughs> yeah. as a vegan, I got to yell at you now for being a vegetarian. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, Josh, but I was gonna say like I think there's two things like I thought were really interesting. Like one is, and I think this is probably probably controversial on the left, but I think there's an extent to which there needs to be a greater appeal to some feeling of like Americanism or patriotism. Right? It's really popular and completely understandable for Americans and non-Americans like me uh, to shit on America's history and to be embarrassed or angry about it alone. But I think. There's still a lot, most people in this country, it's much harder to destroy the idea that America is a good thing than it is to shape what American goodness looks like, right? We see like, every politician try and do it and appeal to like, you know, higher values of American whatever culture. But I think the left needs to do something there. Um, I can't tell you what that is. Like what, I don't think it needs to be jingoistic. I think there is a form of American patriotism um, that works. Like I think if you look at the rhetoric that Debs used to, to convince like Americans that socialism wasn't this far European concept um, full of like technocratic ideas. It was actually, it had American, you know, roots and, and uh, parts of it that worked. And I think part of that is like class consciousness um, unions. Like I've been reading about uh, the Spanish civil war. And I think there's a really like amazing thing when you think of, how many people were members of the FIA and the CNT and these anarchists and left trade unionist groups who just rose up and decided they would volunteer to, you know, support the government when Franco tried to, um, you know, tried to overturn it. Like that's a level of class consciousness that I don't know if this country has ever seen, but I think needs to be start to be built. And I think that's where you get people into left politics, not with culture, but with class. I think I have like a, different well not different but uh, i do agree with like lawrence that we need to set the frame we can't let the enemy decide in the frame uh we also can't take their postmortems like <laughs> at face value <laughs> right uh, they, yeah. fuck you new york times and washington post uh, <laughs> unless you guys want to pay me to be on your podcast then i am very happy <laughs> yeah send it through. Uh, and i also think that it is true that like uh it is easy as leftist to shit on people or as leftists to shit on America. Uh, but yeah, you're not going to get anybody doing that. Like you're the only people you're going to get to come around uh, while you're doing that are the people that were going to come around regardless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you do need to appeal to like their sense of patriotism and history and like be like, oh yeah, like you, you've heard about all this history, but also like what if I told you about like labor unions and how May Day was actually like a mm. thing here before anywhere else. Um, and like the whole history of rednecks and where that comes from and like militant unions here those sort of things um and also yeah. i do think you do need to appeal to them through culture uh not just class uh <laughs> sorry sam what, what do you think that looks like <laughs> i don't know i like no one fucking knows right but i do think you need to win people people aren't come aren't gonna come around in america without you appealing to their culture because um, in america culture and class and race are so tied into each other that you can't like you can't just appeal to class because it sort of negates some of the things people have lived through like especially mm -hmm. minorities in this country and oh yeah. yeah so yeah. you sort of have to like get the language of culture and wrap yourself in it without mm -hmm. letting go of class right mm -hmm. or like do one you have to do both like you have to like dual wield <laughs> both yeah. of them yeah uh, and 360 no scope uh, the establishment <laughs> but you do need to use both of them like you need to like i think culture is the thing that brings you in but once you're in 
you need to be cemented into the the fight by class. Mm. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think was that. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say yeah. It's like a really hard balance between wanting avoiding like the Gordian knot of all of the identities coming together in such a way where any sort of solution is completely jammed up versus denying things like say like uh, how a black family has like less of a chance of um has like i think a 20 percent chance regardless of income of like just going down to the lowest level whereas like a really rich rich white family doesn't have that issue so hmm. yeah that's that's why i'm not like class exclusive just because of something like that so it's yeah. like yeah, and yeah, definitely. I'm definitely not. Yeah, I'm not a class first kind of like leftist. I definitely think, I think the class element and the race and particularly race need to be integrated to some. And like, I mean, all of these issues, right? All id poll kind of politics needs to be thought of together. I just think, yeah, I don't think culture is the way you reach people, right? At least, mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking of culture in the way that like the liberal, uh, you know, center left and also the center right think of culture, like in terms of like mass culture i don't think you're ever gonna like bring people to our side with with any of that i think the kind of war and bullshit doesn't work i think culture works i mean culture works to get like a mass move of like unmotivated people and then you cement them Mm. in class politics but culture also works to just like have those assholes from like the center left follow you (laughs) right (laughs) like guess what like this is the only way you do this like you're gonna have to listen to us and like you sort of have to give them that thing to come like that's the Mm -hmm. bait to get most of those people Mm. because i also don't think most people in the center left will stay there but that's how you get the pmc people to follow you around until you have a mass movement of like hey you either get on our side or we're gonna just fucking steamroll over you (laughs) it's up to you right 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 yeah it's it's like what the it's what the women's march could have been right like a massive cultural mobilization tool but didn't then integrate or actually tried to certain people and it tried to integrate like understanding of internationalism and imperialism and class. And it just didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah. I think the problem was that they didn't have a big enough mass, uh, at least like at leadership mm-hmm. to not get sucked into like the wielding identity as a, as a weapon. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's a good place to stop. Uh, so thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, Sam, do you want to go first? Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, um, yeah, the really exciting stuff that the Ewok group is, which I love mostly just for the name. Um, DSA have teamed up with UE, uh, the union, um, to support workers in workplaces that they're not being treated right. So there's a Google form going around, which is public for workers to fill out. So I encourage people to spread the word about that. Um, and also if you're an organizer, help volunteer and work with those people to get them the rights they deserve. Send me the link so I can put it on the uh, show notes as well. Yeah, Sam? Yeah, for sure. Put, put it on the sheet that we have. Gotcha. Uh, and Lawrence, is there anything you want to shout out or plug in? Uh, I don't really have anything really to plug, but if any of you had any problems with anything that I said, like... Please Find DM me. Josh on Instagram. <laughs> I believe his at yeah. is like C's and Nations. Is that your your handle? Yeah. yeah DM please. Me. I changed my profile to uh, make it like a, a 
like an influencer, so I'll just ignore anybody that. <laughs> nope, he answers everything, so just go at him with all every issue that you've had. Um, yeah. Especially, like, if you had issues with some of the jokes that I made, please let him know. <laughs> yeah, Josh, Josh invested everything we said before we said it, so yeah. just be aware of that. Yeah. If you need someone to cape for Stalin or for Trotsky, just come at me uh, so I can ignore you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. We'll see you next time. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, man. All right. That was episode number six of Tongue Tied and Overwhelmed. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, and yeah, feel free to DM me or not DM me. I don't care. I don't have anything to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it was a pleasure having Lawrence and Sam. And I'm sorry it took me forever to record another podcast. I've just been uh, sort of tired. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah thank you guys so much for listening my next guest uh should be melissa kp and we'll talk about horses uh but yeah until next time uh feel free to please comment like and subscribe share with your friends and see you guys later